Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Harbor and Sprout podcast. We are so excited to be talking to our very own Amber today. She has been our language arts writer since the very beginning almost and has also done some of the science units and a lot of the writing units. And she has just been such an integral part of our team. And today we're going to talk to her about her paleontology expertise Amber is a homeschooling mom of two curious, nature-loving, and wild little humans, a creator of things, a hugger of trees, and a collector of books. She grew up red-haired and freckled in a small town on the east coast of Canada, surrounded by orchards and tides. Her love of language and literature emerged at an early age alongside her fascination with the natural world and all things old. Learning ancient languages, reading and writing poetry, and exploring wild spaces were among her favorite pastimes. While in university, Amber earned degrees in archaeology and paleontology. She spent her summers in graduate school excavating fossils in Eastern Europe and her winters studying the collections of natural history museums. The rest of her time was spent writing and teaching labs and lectures. Teaching became her passion. During this time, she also began working as an editor, which led her to pursuing a career in educational publishing. With the birth of her littles, Amber embarked on her next series of adventures, mothering and homeschooling. Today, Amber and her husband and their two little ones live in their forest home, an off-grid cottage that they're restoring as a family. In between homeschooling and renovating, Amber creates hand-painted, nature-inspired educational printer printables for her Etsy shop, So Simple Beginning, and writes curriculum for us here at Harbor and Sprout. So I have interacted now with Amber for a couple of years, and I'm completely convinced that there's nothing she cannot do. I approached her about coming on the podcast, and I said, well, here's a whole list of things that you could talk about, because she does everything, and she's good at everything. But today, we're going to focus on the paleontology. So Amber, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about your background with paleontology, your education? How did you get started? Is it something you've always loved? Yeah, it. I've always been really fascinated by old things and digging in the dirt. Like most of us, you know, we grew up with sandboxes and finding old things. And I, I loved that from the very beginning. And so when I, I went to university, I uh, started off in archaeology because, you know, the 80s was a time of Indiana Jones. And um, I was really interested in Greek mythology and that whole sense of adventure. Um, and as I went along, I my love of animals kind of shone through a bit more and I started studying fossils. So my background is in primate paleontology. So usually when you think of paleontology, you think of dinosaurs and Lots of paleontologists do, of course, study dinosaurs, but a lot of them study other types of fossil life. And I studied fossil monkeys and fossil apes. Specifically, I studied their their bones, their anatomy, and I uh, wanted to learn about how they moved, how they climbed in the trees, how they balanced. And a lot of that was related to their tails. I'm actually kind of interested in tails and how they relate to locomotion and living and fossil species, but really specifically the fossils. Um, and I could talk about that for days, but so my 
education, I have a bachelor's in anthropology and biology and a master's of science and six years of a PhD almost finished in biological anthropology, which is where I studied um, fossil primates. It's amazing to me that it's such a specific focus. Not only is yeah. it not necessarily dinosaurs, not is it only primates, it is the tales of, <laughs> it's amazing that it's so focused. It's, that's how it is um, nowadays, I think because there are just so many people studying so many things that when you, when you get your piece of the like knowledge puzzle to work on and untangle, it's, it's so, so very specific. I just kind of, through my years of schooling, I, I ended up in that space, you know, and many, many years spent working on that particular project, which was still very exciting. So a typical day in the field, you said you studied in Eastern Europe. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So um, yeah, a typical day in the field, it really depends on the project and the, how much funding they have. Um, you could be sleeping in tents, you could be staying in, in hotels, or, but generally across the board, you're getting up early and you're having breakfast, getting stuff together, your pack, your sunscreen, your hat, your rain gear, whatever, you, you dig rain or shine, you get in the van, you go out the site and you dig all day. And it's very slow and careful and you record everything that you find very scientific, very methodical. And you go home and you have dinner or not home, but back to camp and um, do more work. <laughs> you work in the lab, have meetings, fill out the rest of your paperwork, your notes, and you do it all again. And it's a, it's a really, it's a hard labor intensive work, but it, there's, there's no weekends off usually. It's just work while you're there. When I was in Hungary is where I was working in Eastern Europe. And we were, we were lucky because it, uh, we had a, a hostel that we were staying in. So it was much cushier than some of the other field projects that I've worked on. So when you go out in the field on, on an extended trip like that, what's the general length of time that you're there? Field seasons usually, well, they take place in the summer and they usually last four to six weeks, I'd say. Why in the summer? Is it always in the summer? Usually, but um, I'm speaking from the perspective of someone in North America. So usually it's professors that teach at universities that are doing it, right? So they have school years. So they kind of work on it within the terms. And when the school year is over, the university, then they're getting ready to go into the field. So it's basically just related to when they get the time off. That makes sense. So you're saying, yes, you go out in the field and you research the bones, mm -hmm. but then you also do a lot of record keeping and a lot of further research beyond that. It's definitely not just go out and dig up <laughs> all day long very different no it's yeah it's very it's very sciencey you know it, it's it's adventurous and you know you're you're digging um but it's very meticulous and um if you find a fossil then you have to measure exactly where it is in your space um its depth and um 
like GPS coordinates, even lots of photographs, labeling, note taking, um, proper cataloging, because it's going to end up being studied in a museum and you need to know where it was in relation to other things. And it's, um, there's a lot of paperwork that goes along with it. What are the tools that you use in the field? Those coordinates, I mean, do you have just your phone or what do you use for all that? It depends. Well, we, a, a lot of us, if they can afford it, use survey equipment. Like you see someone on the side of the road surveying um, for like land dimensions or where they're going to put a road or something like that. Um, archaeologists, paleontologists use the same kind of equipment to get distances and, and depths. And back in the day, they used to have like fancy GPS units. And now I'm not sure, you know, that they probably use phones nowadays. But even within that, we take specific measurements from a specific point in the site called a datum. And so we know exactly where it is in the site where we're, uh, okay. where we're digging. What's your favorite thing about paleontology? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, it's, there's so many awesome things about paleontology and I love it very, very much. It's very adventurous. Like you're exploring places that you've probably never been. I mean, I've had opportunities to do field work in, you know, Rudabanya, Hungary, which is a small town, a beautiful town in Hungary. And there's no way on earth that I would have ever gone to Rudabanya had it not been for the field season. I've kayaked along the coast of Washington looking for ancient fish traps and, you know, like just watching the sun come up over like, you know, the ocean. And it's just, it's very adventurous. And it's also really mysterious because fossils are mysterious, right? You know, we don't really know everything. We can't, because it's in the past. It's like time traveling. And it's so very cool when you find a fossil, you know, and, and you're um, uncovering it in the dirt. And, and it's, you're the first person that's seen that for, you know, a very, very long time. And it could be a new species. I mean, it's an animal that doesn't exist anymore. And that is just like mind boggling. And uh, yeah, I can't say enough good things about <laughs> paleontology. Just to hear you talk about it, you can tell that you chose the right line of work. I think <laughs> everybody who hears this decide that they want to go be a paleontologist too and go explore all of the mysterious things that you can find in the ground. Do you have a favorite, do you have a fossil collection of your own? Do you have a favorite fossil that you've found? Um, oh, well, I, I have my own fossil collection. Um, things that I've purchased at, you know, museum shops and such, they frown upon you taking them from the site that you're working on. <laughs> so I, I've never done that. Um, but I have, you know, the odd trilobite and a little bit. My favorite fossil would probably be, we had been working in the project in Hungary had been going on for quite a long time and for years, and they hadn't found any primates in a really long time. And my first year there, I've been there for two, two field seasons. I found a fossil primate, a fossil monkey tooth. And it was very exciting because um, they hadn't found one in a while and they were starting to worry that they weren't going to find any more. And it's really important to that site. 
And so it was a huge, big deal. My supervisor bought champagne. The local news came in to interview me in Hungarian. So that, that was really cool. So why were you specifically in Hungary looking? What, what decide, what made them decide to be looking in that specific location? Well, um, I'm not actually sure how they found it originally, but that site they had been working on for decades, I think. Yeah. So it was a well-established site, but they knew it's a, an ancient swamp mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of, um, fossil monkeys and apes. Um, fossil horses, um, rhinos, carnivores, like a whole, you know, all kinds of different mammals from the Miocene. It was from the Miocene epoch. And uh, they have been studying it for a long time. So I joined that project during graduate school and um, I was there for a couple seasons. I think that it's finished now. I'm not sure that they're digging there anymore, but um it a, a lot of sites can be just happened upon and or they have an idea that there might be something there and they survey and dig and find stuff and then it they continue to work there for years so you were there specifically looking for the the apes but did you find other things oh yeah were dig- so you probably ran into a lot of things but you kind of had to differentiate to find mm-hmm. specifically what you were meant to look for. Yeah, I mean, that's part of what we are trained to do too, is to be able to identify, mm-hmm. you know, the different species when we find it. We found lots of really obvious things like snakes. Um, you would just see their impression in the, in the stone. Um, it wasn't really a, a bone. It was like more like a trace fossil, frogs, turtles. And actually one, one, um, season we found a, a fossil rhino hip like this huge bone and um we we and it was really really delicate and fragile and we tried so hard to wrap it up and protect it and we got it out of the ground and we had it all wrapped in tinfoil and um my one of my colleagues she was put it in her lap in the van on the way back to camp so that we could get it all you know glued back together and repaired because it's all like fragmentary and it fell apart in her lap on the way so it's um there's a lot of ups and downs yeah I'm sure there's a lot of those things I mean for us we see it on the end of oh look these scientists found these cool dinosaur bones Mm -hmm. but there is so much more to the story from point A, the big site, to point B, seeing yes. the museum. Oh, for sure. And so many things I'm sure could go wrong in that process too, even in the hands of skilled scientists that mm-hmm. are trained to handle everything. <laughs> are there any stories that you want to share with us? Any fun stories that come to mind? Or is this something that you have done like with your kids now or brought your family along or... Oh, I haven't. I would love to. And there are a lot of um, volunteer opportunities too that you can take. I'm not working currently in in academia. And so I've kind of lost touch with that ability, but they're always looking for volunteers, for families, for people to go and dig at a site. And that would be, I would love, love, love to bring my my kids to do that 
But you know what, you can, you can do it in the backyard or you can go to fossil places. So there's lots of stuff in terms of stories. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's always things uh, like the time I got stuck in the mud trying to map a, uh, a ancient fish trap and some oyster shuckers had to come by and try and help me out because the oh, tide was coming in. <laughs> I couldn't get out because it just sucked me down to my my above my knees an ancient fish trap that's amazing <laughs> yeah. so this was a something that was left there by humans and a fish trap yeah this is this is more of an archaeology uh one of my earlier my field have you ever found arrowheads yeah I I, my first um dig was in eastern Alberta and I lived in a tent for six weeks a tiny town of 30 people and we doubled the population when we would go <laughs> to oh, dig there the project. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's we would find uh, artifacts. That was a, a five thousand year old um, archaeological site, and yeah, we would find. Uh, they call them. They prefer to call them points because that way they cover their their uh, themselves in case it was a spear point versus uh, like an arrowhead point but yeah and other kinds of tools and so that was really that was really fun so do your inter- interests gravitate more towards people artifacts or fossils fossils now when I started I was interested in people but I'm just so interested in animals mm-hmm. like People are okay. People are cool and their tools are okay, but like animals. And then to think, especially, I mean, everyone loves dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are very cool. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough people know about mammals, fossil mammals. I mean, you know, the mammoths, you know, the saber toothed cats, and those are cool. But there were like giant ground sloths that weighed like four tons. And there were like tiny horses, the size of, size of cats with like claws. And there were giant kangaroos that walked on two legs. And like, there's just so many amazing mammal species. And since we're mammals, it's just so cool to be like, wow, that's so bizarre. Yes. Oh, that it. No, it is. That's what I'm, I want to go look up tiny horses right now because yes how cool is that well thank you so much for making the time to tell us all about some of your paleontology experiences this has been so much fun anytime we appreciate it all right well amber everybody will see you again this month in the next language arts unit and hopefully we'll bring you back another time to pick your brain about more neat things that you do (laughs) Yes, please. Thank you so much. You're welcome.